everybody. Welcome to another episode of Two Strike Noise, your weekly baseball history podcast. As always, I am one of your co-hosts, Jeff. Joining me as usual from the Pacific Northwest is my other co-host, Mark A. Johnston. Mark, welcome to the show. How you doing, my friend? Man, it is another good week. Lots of baseball. I bought some baseball cards. I was watching three games at the same time yesterday. You just can't get a whole lot better than that. Sounds a lot like my life. I bought some I bought some new cards. I showed you. I bought some packs yes. yesterday and uh, for Wax Packs Heroes specifically and I'm very excited. We're going to get some 1997 cards and some 2006, I think, cards. So we're going to kind of broaden our horizon be get some new players nice. to talk about, some fresh blood. Uh, one thing before we get started here, even before we get to BP this week, I want to talk about Saber. Now, we've mentioned several times on this podcast, we're Sabre members, it is incredible. I had a great, with the the pandemic, we haven't been able to have Sabre meetings in person, but we have had some Zoom uh, Zoom meetings, and a lot of times all of the the groups will open it just to anybody, even not even to, to Sabre members. I had a great one last week. We had a guest speaker came on and talked about the Hollywood Stars and the Pacific Coast League. Mark, you had done a story about the uh, the Pacific Coast League earlier, and it was awesome. It was so entertaining, very informative, a possible future guest, too, which is pretty cool. <laughs> Just I, I got to recommend everybody, please join Sabre if you haven't. If you enjoy this podcast, you can find something in Sabre that you will enjoy uh, it's it's not expensive. You get so many free things. You get a ton of free books. You get so many free ebooks by authors uh, that are Saber members and, and other things. Uh, also, I've been doing, you get a free access to the Sporting News uh, Archive, which is 100 oh, years old. I've been going through and just finding this week's edition from past years. So from 1990, 1980, 1900. And it's great. You just read all these stories about what's happening and their stories on players and stuff. It's really entertaining. We, When we talk about our research, a lot of times we are referencing uh, exactly what you're talking about. And and the research is fantastic. Stories, there's just all kinds of cool stuff. Uh, Saber is amazing. Yeah, it really is. It's really, it's really our go-to source in terms of information. Except for this week, my my story doesn't really have a whole, didn't get a whole lot from Saber, but there's a ton of other things. You know, we reference the sporting news quite often, and um, what's the other one? Sporting Life. Sporting Life, baseball. Remember Baseball Weekly? Yeah, it was by yeah. Baseball USA Weekly Today. was amazing. Yeah, I had a subscription to that. I've got a couple of them still. I, I'd save them when they were Ricky related things, but yeah, that was I really enjoyed that. But all right, let's get uh, let's get right into BP. We've got a lot of stuff to talk about today. We've got a lot of stuff to talk about when we get to our main story. And of course, we've got Wax Packs Heroes. Last week, I mentioned a story about Willie Harris and how he was struggling. He ended up going six for six on a bet with Andrew Jones that he could. Uh, well, it wasn't really a bet so much, but he was going to take a souvenir bat Some of these, I'm getting conflicting stories here as I've done more research. Some say it was a giveaway. Some say it was something you could buy at the the stadium team store. Regardless, Willie Harris was struggling. He went six for six with this bat. 
Now, I actually found video of this game and all of his at-bats on the internet. I'll throw those links in the show notes. That does not look like a... It does not look like a promo or a cheap bat. Nor does it sound like one. So there's there's audio on this, and when he hits it, it does not sound like a cheap bat. You can, you can judge for yourself whether or not it is. It's a great story one way or the other. I think it's a bit of a story myself. But. Interesting. And and a lot of baseball has become myth, but the myth is uh, part of the fun. Yeah, I mean, that's that exactly, Mark. The, that is part of baseball. It, <laughs> you, you, the stories get built up more and more as you as, as the time goes by. Yes. I, my brother-in-law has a shirt that says, the older I get, the better I was. And that's pretty much uh, kind of how the stories go in baseball. Uh, saw a really cool story come out of Boston. It had to do with the, actually more than the Red Sox, it had to do with the Blue Jays who were visiting. So Bo Bichette hit a home run last week at Fenway Park. Over the Green Monster, out of the stadium, it landed in front of a building used to be the home of a gym on Lansdowne Street. The cool thing about this is that gym is where Bo's father, Dante Bichette, met Bo's mother, Marina, in the summer of 1991. Wow. <laughs> what are the chances? I mean, it's right there, but I thought that was pretty cool nonetheless, that he had a home run and it hit the place that... Uh, if his father would not have visited that gym, he might not exist. That's right. A couple episodes ago, actually quite a few episodes ago, I mentioned Ed Porre as being the only major leaguer to be listed as being born in the Atlantic Ocean. We thought that was pretty interesting. Doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. Doesn't happen every day. Well, get this. There are actually three major leaguers who are listed as having died in the Atlantic Ocean. Interesting. So first, there is Al Moore. So Al Moore uh, died November 29th, uh, Atlantic Ocean. That's, that's all it says, is Atlantic Ocean. Uh, only two years in the big leagues. Uh, not much of a stick, didn't stick around long. Uh, he did die, fortunately, age of 72. So it's not like he was gone that early. Nonetheless, there is somebody that died in the Atlantic Ocean. Next, we've got Arthur Irwin. If you look at him, so he had a pretty decent career in the big leagues. 13 years in the 1880s and 1890s he played. Uh, you know, he had some some okay numbers there. It does not list that he died in the ocean, but he did actually. And he's actually a, a pretty interesting guy. He apparently took his own life by jumping overboard from a boat going from New York City not to Boston. Now, he had just found out that he was dying he also was having mental health problems. Very interesting guy, though. He invented the first infielder's glove and had a whole bunch of other innovations in other sports, like some scoreboards and some stuff for football. It was also discovered after his death that he had two separate families, one in Boston and one in New York, neither of whom knew about each other. But uh, Arthur Irwin died in the sea. I don't think they ever recovered his body. But then finally, this one, I'm guessing people might have been able to guess, Roberto Clemente, who died in December, uh, on December 31st, 1972, in a plane crash at the age of 38 while en route to deliver aid to earthquake victims in Nicaragua. So I saw, we 
We've talked about Steve Carlton many times before, obviously. He's Steve Carlton. He's a baseball history podcast. We're going to talk about Lefty, right? Absolutely. <laughs> lefty, right? Uh, but Steve <laughs> Carlton, 1972, what a year he had. In 1972, he went 27 and 10, an ERA of 1.97, an ERA plus of 182. He had eight shutouts, 30 complete games, struck out 310 batters, only walked 87. Now, that's completely ridiculous. That's completely, completely ridiculous is right. But he won 27 games there. Now, wins are yeah. not that important. We know that anymore. It's kind of it's just a counting stat. But 27 wins. The team only won 59 games that year. They went 59 and 97. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> so he basically went out there on the mound and said, I can't give up anything because my team sucks. Yeah, I guess so. That's crazy. So this was a four-man rotation for the most part. Listen to these, okay. other, these other guys, Ken Reynolds, Bill Champion, and Woody Fryman. Ken Reynolds went 2-15 and 15 with a 4.26 ERA. They didn't have a shortstop that could pitch or something. <laughs> Bill Champion went four and fourteen with a five point zero nine ERA, <laughs> and Woody Freeman went four and ten with a four point three six. Wow, that's rough. Yeah, I'm, but I mean, just how dominant? I think how great you're feeling if you've got a three game series with them, and Steve Carlton pitched the night before that series starts. You're like, oh yes. <laughs> Here we go. We got this. <laughs> That's the ultimate. Yes. He's facing the Cardinals tonight. That means we get three games against the doofuses. <laughs> Boy, what a season that is. That's incredible. Uh, another yeah. thing, Jay Bruce retired last week. Uh, he was he on did. with the Yankees just for a little bit. Late signing, just filling in. I, I think he was just filling in for some. They needed, a, they needed some bodies because of injuries. Uh, so a real oddball stat regarding Jay Bruce and one of the most prolific home run hitting father-son duels in baseball history. So Jay Bruce, Cecil Fielder, and Prince Fielder all retired with the exact same number of home runs. We've, right. we've talked that Cecil and Prince had the same, 319. Jay Bruce did too, and then he, he called it a career. So he's, he's forever linked with those two. Which then led me to another... Uh, oddity that Babe Ruth and Henry Aaron, both legendary home run hitters, they both ended with the same number of runs scored in their career with 2,174. So 2,174. That's not like ending. They both scored with 12. That's a, that's a big number that, to still have the exact same. Yeah. I mean, I'm guessing there is a ton of guys that ended up with 10 career runs scored. But sure. once you get into the 2000s, that is rarefied air. To have Babe Ruth sure. and, and Henry Aaron both come up with that same number, I thought that was really cool. Pretty crazy. Uh, so last week we did a topic where we did uh, Petridge Farms remembers, essentially. Uh, we did things that you just don't see anymore in baseball. And we opened it up. We, we asked listeners, hey, send us your list of things that we don't see anymore. We got a lot of responses. A lot of people had a lot of things that we didn't cover that uh, they wanted to add to that list. Now, I did kind of pare it down because I did, when we were doing it, we were talking about mainly since we became fans in kind of the early to mid 80s 
up through now. So, you know, we weren't talking about traveling by train in between cities or, or you know, that kind of thing. So I did kind of pair a lot of those off of these lists. There were some great things, though, that, that people sent us. And, and maybe we need to do another episode where we kind of open it up beyond the 80s earlier. But a couple of things that were sent to us, bullpen carts, which absolutely. Oh, yeah. And I know I know the Nationals brought one back like two, two or three years ago, because I remember Sean uh, Doolittle, he rode it in every time. Nobody else did. Everybody else just ran in in the cart, like went along the the warning track next to him. (laughs) Uh, Other things, uh, pitchers faking the throw to third and then throwing to first or even thankfully not even doing that. Thankfully, it's gone. Thank you. One of the few rules that I agreed with. You know, it happened. It would work once or twice a season, but it, yeah. it was not that games have gotten any shorter since that went away. No, <laughs> or the, or the intentional really walk. Yeah, it hasn't really done a whole lot. Uh, this Nothing was, measurable anyway. No, no. This was a good one. Morgana, the kissing bandit. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I don't think she could. Maybe it's been a while. She may not be able to run out there anymore. No. Oh, she nailed Nolan Ryan once. Nolan enjoyed yeah, it, though. Yeah. He did. He, he had, I, I heard the story. He said he'd heard that it was coming. So when he heard the crowd start to go crazy, he waited until she got closer and then he dropped down to one knee and she sat on his knee and kissed him. <laughs> no one played along. There's a great picture of that. too. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. And, and in case you don't know, Morgana was a, well, she was a rather top heavy female uh, in the, <laughs> in the, in the late seventies, early eighties. And she, you couldn't do this anymore. Absolutely not. But she would, nope run onto the field from the stands and pick out a player and go plant a big kiss on him. And it was, it was like a badge of honor. If she's targets you, this was a big thing. It was a big deal. It, and it was on the news. If she came out, oh, Morgana was seen again, you know, yeah. it was, it was hilarious. Yeah. She would, well, I would say she'd be tackled right away, but I mean, stadium security generally is <laughs> not very good at getting people that run on the field right away. We'll just leave it at that. Yeah. Next, multi-purpose stadiums. The oh, old sure. round ones. I mean, really, Oakland is the last one, but it is no longer since the Raiders have temporarily left again, I'm sure. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Pittsburgh, uh, Philadelphia, uh, let's see, Oakland. Uh, remember the Braves when they played in Fulton County Stadium? The, the Falcons used to play there, too. The Rams, when they were in Los Angeles, the first time used to play in the Big A. Yep. Like you would see. And remember, the Packers used to play. Did they play a game or two down at Milwaukee County Stadium every year, too? Remember that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Dude, I forgot about that. Yeah. So you would see you would see football games with dirt in, you know, there's the infield. Mm-hmm. There's the, the flattened pitcher's mound. You'd see that. But you fortunately do not see that anymore. Um, yeah, the, the kingdom was uh, built oh, yeah. to just pretty much do anything. Yeah, football, the, baseball, the Metrodome. Uh, some NBA basketball games in there, and uh, I, you know, what I saw there Paul McCartney. It was pretty sweet. I saw the Stones there when I was in Ooh, school. I drove. That's over. outstanding. A little, little looking forward, looking the Astrodome, which we're going to talk about today. That also hosted the Oilers and the and the Astros, but uh, with with the domes though, you could it was all they could just lay the, the turf over it. But when you played on a grass state multi-purpose stadium, you had to play on that infield. 
This was this was fun though. If you if you've got more things, and we are kind of just looking initially here for '80s on. Anything else? Uh, let us know uh, that because that was that was fun to, to see all that. All right, so this show is debuting on April 27th. We've got a couple of uh, actually, we've just got one debut. There was a good list of people that debuted, but nobody that really jumped out except for one. And that debut is from 1926. Mel Ott. Uh, he debuted for the New York Giants, who he played his entire 22-year career with. He was a member, he was inducted into the Hall of Fame in 1951, a 12-time All-Star. He was on the 1933 World Series team. For 18 consecutive seasons, Mel Ott led the New York Giants in home runs, which is still a major league record. That's impressive. That's pretty. Who's who's with a team for 18 years anymore, let alone Not anymore. leads yeah. them in home runs for each of those? Jimmy Fox, Double X, and Henry Aaron are next with 11 each. So they weren't even close. Wow. Leo DeRocher. We've talked about him many a times. Leo the Lip. Well, yep. he coined a phrase at one point that said, nice guys finish last. That was in reference to Mel Ott. He, uh, Mel Ott went on to manage as well and was really easygoing, a real player's manager, but didn't win a whole lot. Mel Ott being a nice guy, Leo said, nice guys finish last. Ott was also the first manager to be ejected in both games of a doubleheader. <laughs> Congrats, I guess. <laughs> yeah. What do you say? You were first. Great. He's referenced in the 1989 film Field of Dreams. Ott is one of several deceased players portrayed. Uh, also, this is a quote from Mel Ott. I like this. He says, every time I sign a ball, and there have been thousands, and I'm thankful for that, I thank my lucky stars I wasn't born Stan Kovaleski, Bill Wombengas, or Roger Peckinpah. <laughs> That's good. That's going to be, I'm wondering, is there, he's got to be the, the, the Hall of Famer with the shortest name. Six letters. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he should have signed double the autographs everyone else. I'm wondering, I mean, there can't be many, if any, players just overall that have shorter names than Mel Ott. Melvin Thomas Ott, but it went by Mel Ott. Let's, uh, let's circle back on that next week. What do you say? All right. All, All right. right. Speaking of uh, next week, I get a trivia question. So we're going to circle back to last week first. Who was the last player to successfully steal home in a World Series game? Now, I am proud to say we did not get a single answer that was correct on this one. Wow. And I, I did give everybody a clue that it is not somebody you would ever associate with stolen bases, let alone a steal of home in a World Series game. Do you, uh, if, if you had a week, have you come up with any, any sort of guess? In my estimation, the only guy that could have pulled that off was John Wayne, and I don't think he was playing. John, John Wayne? <laughs> Which... <laughs> I have no idea what I mean by that, but... Uh... Go ahead, man. I, I don't know. I have no idea. All right. Well, you don't have to go back that far. A lot of our guesses were back in the early part of the 1900s all the way up to the 60s. It was 2002. Oh. Brad Fulmer, noted base stealer <laughs> of the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim against the San Francisco Giants on the back end. I'm not even sure that it was the back end when I'm watching the video. Uh, runner on first and third. Fulmer's on third. 
The runner on first takes off. The throw is high to second. It doesn't get away, but the second baseman has to like leap up and back to make the catch. And Fulmer just took off and there wasn't even a throw home. Wow. So it wasn't like a Jackie Robinson. He's the only guy on third base (laughs) dancing down the line and then just takes off. But I never said it was. I just said successful. That's right. All right. I got a new question for you. I'm I'm happy with this. I don't know if this is going to be hard or easy. Can you name me the pitcher with the best ever winning percentage against the New York Yankees with a minimum of 20 decisions? Wow. So they've got to have 20 wins or losses combined. As long as it is more than 20 decisions against the Yankees, who has the best winning percentage? That's good. Whoever it is is kind of my hero. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll stay off of the Yankee hate on that one. And uh, we're going to let the ground screw come out and do their stuff because we have got we're, we're, we're ready to go here. Let's get into our main subject. I'm really excited about this. I found so much information on this. I, I thought about making this a, a, a double episode, like a two-parter, because literally wow. I, I had to leave a lot of stuff out. I wanted to just kind of stick with stuff that has to do with the things we like to talk about. And also, I, I'm not mentioning very few of the non-baseball related things. So this week, we are going to talk about the Houston Astrodome. Nice. So the Houston Astrodome first known as the Harris County Dome Stadium. Really catchy, no? Oh, absolutely. As far as that didn't stick. Rolls off the tongue. <laughs> In 1962, Major League Baseball expanded. The New York Mets and the Houston Colt 45s were brought into the league. Part of the deal with putting a team in Houston was that they were going to be able to build a covered stadium, believe it or not, because it gets kind of hot and humid in Houston in the summer. Yes. I, don't know, I don't know if you knew that or not, but it does. Oh, I've been there in the summer. <laughs> the team played its first couple of seasons in Colt Stadium, which was located in the same complex as the Astrodome was built in and where the current NRG Stadium, home of the Houston Texans, sits. As well as the Astrodome, it's still there. It was a single-level stadium known for being dangerous for outfielders as rattlesnakes were often found just slithering around in the outfield. <laughs> Well, see, you're not going to get that in a dome. No. Nope, I ain't going near any. No, they say a rattlesnake may be out there. I'm done. I forfeit. The other team wins. Now, if they would have just named themselves the Houston Rattlesnakes, then that would have, I'm, I'm on board with it because that would have been pretty cool. It would have been like having mascots everywhere. Yeah. A free mascot. Here you go. <laughs> here's, here's some, here's some uh, anti-snake bite serum uh, just to keep you alive. Like they should hand it out to outfielders as they go out there. Put it in your back pocket. Day at the uh, ballpark. Yeah, put it in your back pocket like Tim Raines, but then slide head first so you don't break it. Cocaine reference. <laughs> Roy Hoffines, who from heretofore I shall simply refer to as the Hoff, claims <laughs> that he was inspired by a trip to Rome and he saw the ruins of the Colosseum and heard about an awning that was used to shield spectators from the sun. The dome was or is 18 stories tall. Like Dodger Stadium and the Oakland Coliseum, the playing surface is actually below ground level, 25 feet below ground level. As I mentioned, it was known as the Harris County Dome Stadium, later renamed the Astrodome when the Colt 45s were renamed to the Astros. In a move unheard of today, the Astrodome was completed six months ahead of schedule. Wow. Yeah. 
How, how does that happen? Well, I don't know that how something this massive is completed early, let alone half a year early. I don't know how that happens. Man, it wasn't a government job, was it? Clearly not. But like, who forgot <laughs> to do what that might cause this thing to collapse if it's done six months early? It's like uh, an Ikea purchase. There probably was a few screws yeah. and some parts left over that they didn't get put in. They had extra parts they hid. Yeah. Uh, the dome was originally supposed to be hemispherical, meaning it was supposed to be like half of a perfectly round, you know, sphere, which is spheres tend to be that way. But yes. be, because of soil and atmosphere worries, it was flattened to the shape that we now associate with most domed stadiums. This was the first dome stadium for baseball. So there were some concerns like how would it affect pitching? Are pitches going to break the same way since there's no wind? Well, there was there was air conditioning, though. That was the thing. This was the first enclosed venue that had air conditioning. So to figure this out, they called up somebody that they wanted to come and check it out. Enter Satchel Page. Satch. <laughs> Love him. Yeah. Uh, Satchel was decked out in an Astros jersey, threw some pitches, and declared it a pitcher's paradise as his breaking <laughs> balls went right where he wanted them to. And he was right. Yeah, but again, you know, he's Satchel Page. Like, <laughs> he's pretty much a yes. wizard. He can do that kind of stuff. For me, I think they should have gotten somebody like Sergio Romo to do this. Because he has no idea where his pitches are going at any point. <laughs> so that would have been, for me, a more realistic test. Let's fast forward to April 9th, 1965. The very first game in the Astrodome. It was an exhibition between the Astros and the Yankees. Almost 48,000 fans watched as Mickey Mantle recorded the first hit, and then a couple innings later recorded the first home run hit in the building's history, as well as the first indoor hit and home run in baseball history. Mickey Mantle. Mickey Mantle. Shocking. <laughs> the first regular yeah. season home run was hit by badass Dick Allen of the Phillies a couple of days later. Nice. Now, this blows my mind. 1965, so it's still the first season this place is open. The Mets come to town. And Mets announcer Lindsey Nelson broadcast a game from a gondola that was suspended from the roof above second base. <laughs> Crazy. Wow. So I've spent a good deal of time in very high places in stadiums and arenas. I would never do this. <laughs> Uh, especially in a place that was finished a half a year earlier than expected. <laughs> it was the first, and from what I could find, the only time ever that an announcer provided play-by-play -play from within fair territory during an actual baseball game. I see. 1980, the Astros took on the Phillies in the playoffs. Local radio station KILT planted Astro Man at the top of the dome, vowing that he would not come down until the Astros won the World Series. Uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> well, Astroman was actually a salesman from the station who was given a tent and a phone, and I hope a big bonus. Uh, <laughs> Astroman could only get food and drink by lowering a basket from the roof all 18 stories down to the ground floor. Well, one time Astroman... Hadn't had a meal for a while and was getting hungry, but the Oilers, who, as I mentioned, shared the facility, were practicing on the field. So Astro Man's mom marches out onto the field, stops practice, fills her <laughs> son's basket with food and water, 
and up it goes. <laughs> you know, that's something my mom would do for me. But, you know, I'm guessing Astro Man was a fraud because the Astros didn't quote unquote win the World Series until 2017. So did he really stay there until the Astros won a World Series? No. It would have been pretty lonely. Would have been a long time coming up there, too. This is the first dome stadium, as I mentioned. They don't totally know what is and is not going to work. Well, the roof was made of semi-transparent lucite panels that let in natural light. This helped grow the specifically bred natural grass. Allowed it to grow because you're indoors. Grass generally doesn't grow indoors. Well, a couple problems with this plan. First, the special grass would hold moisture until the evening when it would then release it, essentially causing it to rain inside of the dome every night. (laughs) Not not good when you're trying to play baseball. Next, The natural light coming through the roof panels made it almost impossible for players to see anything hit in the air if the sun was out at all. They say, okay, good, no problem. We're going to paint a couple of sections of the panels that are behind home plate so that it blocks it out so the players in the outfield and the infield can see it. Well, one problem bred another. That killed the grass. Not enough sun got in anymore. <laughs> like, I mean, like... It really quickly killed the grass. So the Astros played most of their inaugural season on dirt that was just painted green. Good stuff. That's horrible. So this led to the invention of chem grass, better known as AstroTurf. Problem was, this brand new stuff was pretty expensive, and they did not have enough of it to cover the entire playing field for the start of the next season in 1966. It was also ridiculously expensive. So to start the season, there was only turf in the infield and foul territory. The rest was still that painted dirt that I'm sure the outfielders just loved. Can you imagine how many doubles and triples that must have helped? Just because if it gets out there, the ball is just going to go right to the wall. It was not until after the All-Star break in 1966 that the entire field was finally covered in AstroTurf. Uh, The scoreboard. The Houston Astrodome scoreboard. Now, I am a scoreboard nerd because it's kind of my job. I love looking yeah. at old scoreboards and, and things that people are doing on scoreboards. I do too. Yeah, the, so the Astrodome was home to the first animated scoreboard, which was truly one of the most innovative and forward-thinking scoreboards ever. It was called the Astrolite, which today <laughs> I am sure is called Astrovision because that's what every team does. They just stick vision after their team name hi mariners yeah uh, we have a pretty unique one at the mariners <laughs> mariners vision who to thunk it yeah my oh my it was <laughs> that's a little inside mariners joke there <laughs> uh it was engineered by a company that's still around today but it's a competitor of my employer so screw them i'm not going to tell you their name <laughs> the astrolite was four stories tall and as long as a football field it took six people to operate the scoreboard. The article I read said that a Fitbit today, you know, one of those little little fitness trackers, <laughs> contains many times over the amount of electronics that this entire scoreboard did. That's crazy. The crown jewel of this thing was a 40-second animation that would run after each Astro home run. The scoreboard was eventually removed in 1988 to make room for more seating, and it was just parked in the parking lot, left for scrap, and eventually, you know, hauled away. 
So there has been a rainout in Astrodome history, believe it or not. Like, what's the point of a dome if you're still going to be able to get rained out? 1976, there was heavy flooding in Houston. The Pirates were in town, and both they and the Astros made it to the stadium, but the umpires couldn't. Too much water. So when the gates would usually open, there were no fans and no umpires. So the two teams hauled tables out into the middle of the infield and broke bread together. So (laughs) instead of Christmas in July, they had Thanksgiving in June, and they ate a, a nice meal together on the infield. All right, so I mentioned the Hoff earlier. He happened to have an opulent apartment in the Astrodome. This is where he lived and and enjoyed his off time. Now, this don't or this uh, this apartment was somewhere near the scoreboard, which is weird. So you own this Astrodome and you've got this real nice apartment and you put it in right field where you can't see the huge animated scoreboard. Plus you're in right field, like that's not really where most people choose to sit. Yeah. The apartment featured a putting green, a shooting gallery, because, I mean, you're in Texas, so you got to have a shooting right. gallery inside the Astrodome. Uh, a puppet theater. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Who of us doesn't have one of those? Yeah. Uh, a bowling alley and a private terrace overlooking the playing field. Wow. The style was described as early King Farouk by Bob Hope. And uh, Sports Illustrated described it as, quote, unquote, early whorehouse. (laughs) I don't think they were fans. (laughs) The one one non-baseball event I'm going to mention is the first concert in the Astrodome. It was Judy Garland. Wow. Yeah. Uh, The Supremes opened for her, which tells you something. If the Supremes are opening for Judy Garland, Judy Garland was a big act. Definitely. So Judy Garland took the stage at 10 p.m. Madonna takes the stage earlier than that. That is <laughs> something. And then get this playlist. Listen to some of these slappers. He's got the whole world in his hands. Rockabye Baby and Over the Rainbow. Was this a concert or was she trying to sing a baby to sleep? Like this is not something that if she's not coming out till 10 o'clock, this is going to put me to sleep. Sounds like it. (laughs) Uh, Let's see. Let's jump forward to 1992. Do you remember this? The Astros embarked on a month-long road trip to allow for the Republican National Convention to take place. I do remember that. Yeah. Yes, I remember that. A couple of other great things that happened in the Astrodome. June 10th, 1974, the Philadelphia Phillies' Mike Schmidt hit a speaker 117 feet above and 329 feet from home plate. This should have been a 500-plus foot homer. Ended up as a single as it dropped into center field. So that's wow. tough Mike luck. Schmidt punishing, punishing the speakers. <laughs> He's like, I hate that speaker in particular. <laughs> I hate the song, and I'm going to let you know. Uh, there were six yep. no-hitters in the Astrodome history, all thrown by Houston pitchers, though. One of which was thrown by your guy, the Express, in 1981. Yep. And then the one that I remember most was Mike Scott threw a no-hitter against the Giants in 86 to clinch the National League West. I remember. A couple of other just odd things. The groundbreaking dignitaries fired guns into the ground instead of shovels because, you know, Texas. (laughs) 
Okay. Uh, the Astrodome was setting for the filming of an exhibition game with the fictional Houston Toros in the 1977 movie The Bad News Bears Breaking Training. Now, you know something about that movie? You talked about the scoreboard animation after every home run. If you watch that movie, you can see that scoreboard animation. Absolutely. And they even, doesn't the scoreboard even say, let them play? Like the, like the yes. crowd is chanting? Blinking on and off. Let them play. Yep. The made-for-TV movie Murder at the World Series was filmed here, which is a fictional account of the 77 World Series between the Astros and the Athletics. How about that? The real 77 World Series was, of course, Yankees and Dodgers. And, of course, now the Astros in the American League, so that would never happen. Uh, the largest crowd I could find for an event in the Astrodome was when Evil Knievel jumped 13 cars two nights in a row, drawing over 100,000 spectators to the Astrodome in 1971. I'll tell you what, talk about stuff you don't see anymore. Remember, daredevils were big time. Yeah. <laughs> well, and his son did this for quite a while. Remember? Yes, Robbie. Yep. Yeah. There was talk of him actually making a jump over the stadium itself sometime in the future, but obviously that never happened. But boy, <laughs> I remember growing up, I remember when Evil Knievel did something, it was a primetime TV special. Yep. Every time. I had the Evil Knievel doll and the motorcycle. Oh yeah, I did too, where you, you would pump it and then it would it, take off? It would take off and then fall over immediately because it wasn't balanced very well. But if you watch, I, I saw a commercial for this on YouTube recently, you know, on, on the old, <laughs> and that thing is going like 200 feet and then taking a jump and landing perfectly. And I'm like, that's right. not the way it worked. <laughs> it's not the way it <laughs> worked. It wouldn't go 36 inches max. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm glad I'm not the only one that remembers how awful that was. Yeah, I, I was so excited to get it, and then, wow. <laughs> so uh, let's head to the end of the Astrodome now. As I mentioned, there was another tenant of the Dome, the NFL's Oilers. Well, they threatened to move if they didn't get a new stadium, and newsflash, they didn't get one. They moved to Nashville. They are now the Tennessee Titans. The Astros likewise said, hey, build us a new stadium where we're at here as well. That led to Enron Field. <laughs> the great, great naming of, of that. Yeah. Now it is, of course, known as Minute Maid Park. Uh, the Astrodome was declared non-compliant with fire code by the Houston Fire Department in 2008. Parts of it were demolished in 2013 after it had just sat there in disuse for several years. And in 2014, it, it was listed on the National Register of Historic Places. So it's still standing there. It's not in use. Uh, I know during Hurricane Katrina, they housed people there, but it's really just not used at all anymore, and it's kind of just falling apart. Out there collecting dust? Yeah, it's just sitting there in the parking lot. But that is the Houston Astrodome. All right, Mark, it is time for the most popular segment of our show. We're going to open up some old baseball cards. We're going to take a look at some players that uh, hopefully we haven't talked about for a while, and we are going to play... Wax Packs Heroes. All right, so after a huge uh, win last week, I, I have now cut your lead uh, to six, but you are still only two wins away from claiming your second consecutive title. You have 18 wins. I have 12 what we're going to do is we're going to open up a pack of older baseball cards. Today, we're going to open up some 1988 tops. 
a couple of rules if you have not joined us before we're going to take these cards we're going to open them up we're going to look at baseball reference war for each of these players for the year of the cards so as i said 1988 we will total those up we've got a couple of different things though that can add or subtract from that war total if you are sporting a mustache you're going to get an extra tenth of a point of war if it's a good like Tom Selleck is looking at it and saying, that's a good mustache. You're getting an extra <laughs> two tenths of a point of war. If you're wearing glasses of any sort, if they are sunglasses, they are flip downs, they are big science teacher glasses, they are funny nose and mustache glasses. Doesn't matter. You're going to get an extra tenth of a point of war. If you're wearing real stirrups that we can see, extra tenth of a point of war. If you got lazy and you're wearing the two and ones, that's a minus tenth of a point of war. And if you are now in the Hall of Fame, you're going to get a whole extra point of war. I almost forgot. I almost forgot. If you're wearing a sweatband with your caricature, your jersey number, or a corporate logo on it, uh, you're going to get an extra tenth of a point of war. All right, Mark, I got these two packs in my hands. Which one would you like to go with? The one left or the right? I'm going right. Right. All right, I'm going to have you go first, as usual. As usual. We'll go ahead and open these. Now, these do have gum in them. Uh, you have got a full intact piece of gum, so... Wow, mint condition. Yeah, not mint flavored though. <laughs> it's, <laughs> I don't know what is it dust flavored. That's kind of what I would. <laughs> it's uh, bubblegum dust. Bubble. Yeah. Okay. All right. So you're going to start off here. First of all, you're starting off with a turn back the clock, and this is a Hall of Famer. So this is oh, going nice. to help you right away. It's Jim Rice, who, as we know, went in. I don't even need to look it up in 2009 because he went in with Ricky Henderson. Ah. Let's see. Jim Rice, Jim Ed. Middle name's Edward. I did not know that. Let's see. 1988, he was 35 years old, still played 135 games with the Red Sox. 15 home runs, slash 264, 330, That is an OPS plus of 102, which equates to a war of 0.5. Not great, but he does have a mustache well, and he is a Hall of Famer. So that's going to be a 1.6 to get you on the board, which is not bad. I'll take it. Not a, not a bad start. Something I did not know. So I, I was there for Jim Rice's uh, acceptance speech in the, in the Hall of Fame. I don't remember this, but he mentioned apparently that he is a big fan of the soap opera, The Young and the Restless. And apparently he was <laughs> watching an episode when he got the call that he was going to be inducted into the Hall of Fame. Uh, also apparently made a, a cameo in the uh, Jimmy Fallon opus Fever Pitch. Well, that makes sense. Uh, next, you've got a picture for the Cincinnati Reds, Ted Power. I, I do remember Ted Power. Wasn't he a big dude? Ted Power was six foot four, 215. Yeah. So you could say he was pretty big. 1988, he split time between the Royals and the Tigers, despite being on the Reds on this card. Uh, let's see. He ended up that year going six and seven. And all of that equates to... A minus 0.9 war. <laughs> but he does have real stirrups on, so that'll just be so minus, much for power. Minus 0.8, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> power to me. <laughs> so that halved your score. You are now at uh, 0.8. But now this is this is the deadly card for me right here. You've got an Orioles leader card with nice. not one, but two Hall of Famers on it. Ooh. Eddie Ooh. Murray and Cal Ripken Jr. Those guys are both kind of good, I think. Yeah, this is this could be big money for you right here. No whammy. So let's see. Eddie Murray in 1988. So you do get credit for both of these players. 1988, Eddie Murray, 284, 361, 474 for an OPS plus of 136. 
that equates to a war of 3.2. You know Whoa. he's got a mustache. Oh, yeah. And uh, he has got two sweatbands with his caricature on it. And he's a Hall of Famer. <laughs> wow. So let's see. That's 4.2, 4.4, 4. 4.5 just from Eddie Murray. Wow. Yes. Go, Eddie. All right. Next, let's take a look at what Rip did that year. In 1988, Cal Ripken uh, was an all-star. He was an all-star no matter what. Uh, 128 OPS plus, and that equates to a 5.7 war, plus he's a Hall wow. of Famer. So that's 6.7 on that. You got over 10 points of war on one card. That may be the greatest card in the history of Wax Pack Heroes. I think, I think it is. That got you up to an even 12. Uh, <laughs> Congratulations wow. there. We got to frame that. Yeah. Well, this card is going to get you absolutely nothing because it's a manager card. Oh, man. <laughs> Hal Lanier of the Houston Astros. 19... I remember when Hal Lanier was running the show. 1988. What did the Astros do in 88? 88. Let's see. Two years after the big 86 year. Um, see, no one was still there. Jerry Richard was gone. I think Mike Scott was still around and Danny Darwin. Let's see. So 1988, the Houston Astros finished 82 and 80. Basically Average. a 500 club. Yeah. Hal Lanier uh, actually played for 10 years and was the son of a big leaguer, Max Lanier, as well. Oh, wow. Who spent 14 years in the big leagues. Hal Lanier was also manager of the year at one point. But uh, not, uh, not much going to get you. You're not going to get anything in, in sense there. Your next card is an all-star card. This is good. It is the guy that we love to talk about. Catcher from his knees with a hose. It's one of two guys. It's either Tony Pena or, in this case, Benito Santiago. Benny Santiago. Man, when he was in his prime, he was amazing. Man, Yeah, I, I remember him behind the plate. He was just, he was something. Oh. Yeah, he was a feature back there, man. He was amazing. So, Rookie of the Year in 1987, 1988, not bad, especially for a, a great defensive catcher. 248, 282, 362, OPS plus of 85, but you're going to take into account his defense in war, and that gives him a yeah. war of 3.1, and he's got a mustache, so that'll be a 3.2 for you. I'll take that. All right, next, oh, this is one of my favorite. this is one of my guys, this is one of my original guys. From the A's, he's still in the A's here. Outfielder Dwayne Murphy. I remember. Um, okay, I was I was just uh, I was going to the Tacoma Tigers games. I was just a fan at the time. They were playing for the PCL, like the lead in the PCL West, and the A's were so kind enough to send us to option us Dwayne Murphy, and he had a really good game, and then he went back up to the A's. <laughs> Who cares if you win in the minor leagues? But apparently the A's at that point did. <laughs> they did. They, they were like, hmm, let's send him a ringer, you know? That was nice. <laughs> well, Murph in 88, it was the second to his last year. He actually signed with the Tigers. Uh, 250, 361, 368 for a OPS plus of 109. Still not bad. That equates to a war of 1.2. He's got a mustache too, so you're going to get a 1.3 out of that. But, I mean, I remember, you know, growing up and being a Ricky Henderson fan in the early 80s, it was uh, Murphy, Henderson, and Tony Armas. Yeah, yeah. That was the outfield, and that was a great outfield for the A's. Murph has since gone on. He's been a base coach for a couple of teams. He also played for Yakult in the NPB in 1990. He's a big bass guitar player, apparently. 
And get mm. this. So we've talked about MC Hammer before and how he was bat boy for the A's and several A's, including Ricky Henderson, fronted him some money to first get his album out there. Uh, Murph was one of those guys as well. Huh. Can't touch this. All right. Next. This is weird to see this guy in a Dodgers uniform. It's Scrap Iron. Do you remember that nickname? Scrap Iron. Yes. Phil Garner. Bingo. Scrap Iron went on to be a manager as well. Uh, for the Brewers, I remember him mainly with Houston. Yes. Uh, also played for the A's, came up with the A's, played for the Pirates. 16-year career. Had a good career. Yeah. 1988 was his final year. He only played in 15 games for the Giants. OPS plus of 10. Now, that's not good. That's not good at all. Uh, but he <laughs> didn't play much. Yeah, it's only a, a war of minus 0.1. Now, if you remember, Scrap Iron had a mustache. He had yes. a two-tenths of a point mustache. It was a beauty. Now, I say had because it's shaved off in this picture. So you're just, yeah, just going to take a minus tenth of a point on that one. 16.4. Next, you've got pitcher for the Reds, Guy Hoffman, who we've had before, and I'm going to refer to him as Guy Hoffman. It's the Canadian pronunciation. Yeah, definitely. Stuck around a little bit. Six years, bounced around in the big leagues. 1988, he appeared in 11 games out of the bullpen. Not much going on. That is a war of minus 0.1, uh, but he does have real stirrups, so you're just going to even out mm. there. Uh, Hoffman also went on. He, wow, he played three seasons in Japan for the Orcs oh. Braves. Now, I've never heard them called the Braves before. They were I know of them as the Blue Wave, and Blue now, wave, yeah. now they're the Buffalo but, uh, yeah, the Oryx Braves. That's interesting. Okay, you, wow, you've got another all-star card. You're living right here. Wow. I, I enjoyed this guy. I enjoyed him even when he was on the Giants. It is Jack Clark. <laughs> Jack Clark could hit a ton. The, I mean, he was just a very strong power hitter. Yeah, I enjoyed him even when he was on the Yankees. Which, this was, this was the year, 1988. He was on the Yankees. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, wow. And you know, he did, he did Jack Clark things, 27 home runs, 93 ribs, 242, 381, 433. That's a OPS plus of 130. And that equates to a war of 2.8. Nothing that you're going to get off of this card, not a hall of famer. So it's just going to be a 3.8, but that's still, uh, that's great. One season, 3.8. All right. So we got some stuff to talk about off, off kind of off the field here with Jack Clark. Uh, Jack Clark had a bit of a taste for uh, luxury automobiles. At one point, he owned 18 of them and had to file for bankruptcy. At one point, it was paying 17 car payments simultaneously. Wow. It's a, I hate having one. Yeah. <laughs> if he got bored with a car, he'd get rid of it and just buy another. Now, got rid of it, does that mean he would just like park it somewhere and leave it? Or would he sell it to like help some of this debt that he accrued? Boy, he had a drag racing business and a $2.4 million home that he lost because of this. Also wow. was a uh, talk show host part-time in St. Louis, where he at one point said that he had knowledge that Albert Pujols was uh, using steroids. In St. Louis, he was this talk show host. Ooh, yeah. I don't know if you want to say that sort of thing. Yeah. <laughs> he eventually retracted his statements, but... Uh, uh, he got sued by Pujols for that. <laughs> wow. That'll do it. That'll shut you up. That's not smart to take down your, your franchise's best player at the time. 
All right, this guy we've talked about many times, broke a bat over his back through a, a on a swing in the 80, or I'm sorry, in the 1990 World Series against Dave Stewart. It's Glenn Braggs here with the Milwaukee Brewers. That's what I remember him as a brewer. I remember him mainly as a red, main, probably because of that 1990 series. Big dude. I mean, he wasn't, he was 6'3", 210, but I mean, he was just, he was solid. He was a rock. 88, yeah. he was 25 years old. Slash 261, 307, 423, and OPS plus of 102. That equals a war of 1.2, and he's got a mustache. So you're going to get a 1.3 out of that, and that Very will nice. bring you up to 21.5. Next is somebody I do not remember. He's a catcher for the Dodgers. It's Alex Trevino. Oh, man. I, I You know, I, he was some sort of backup. I do remember the name because my buddy was a huge Dodgers fan and, and collected uh, all the Dodgers cards. Let's see. Alex Trevino, definitely a backup because you still had Sosha at that point in 88, I think. Uh, 78 games, he's pretty much a backup catcher, but he still had an OPS plus of 108. That equates to a 0.5 war, um, and that's all you're going to get out of this card. So that'll okay. bring you up to 22 even. This is a good pack. Yeah, Trevino really played is. on a lot of teams. Wow. Mets, Reds, Braves, Giants, the Dodgers, and the, and the Astros. A pretty uh, pretty good career, and then he went on to uh, join the Astros uh, broadcasting team. Yes, I believe he's still part of it. Yeah, and the Spanish broadcasting team. Wow, I did not know that. Good for you, Alex Trevino. All right, next. That's cool. Uh, we've talked about this guy before. He's been on the A's. Uh, here he is with the Expos pitcher Jeff Parrott. Yes, it spells it differently. It's not spelled like a bird. Nope, it is not. You are correct, but we're still going to call him a parrot. Eighty-eight. His third year in the big leagues. A good year. Wow, a really good year. He, uh, out of the bullpen, 12 and 4. So not so much parrot-like, more vulture-like, I would say. That's more, way more of a vulture than a parrot. <laughs> 2.65 ERA. 91 and two-thirds of an innings pitched. This Ooh, is a good wow. arm out of the bullpen. That equates to a war of 1.6. He's got real stirrups and he's got a mustache. So that's a plus 1.8. Very nice. Wow. By Jeff Parrot. Okay, we're just calling it. He's, he's now heretofore known as Jeff Vulture. <laughs> 12 wins. That'll get you there. Yep. All right. Next, we've got a pitcher for the Red Sox. This guy was uh, on the, the uh, 86 team when they took on the Mets. Calvin Schiraldi. Calvin. <laughs> oh, I remember. I felt so bad for him. The Mets fans were all over that poor sap. Let's see. Calvin Schiraldi played for eight years in the big leagues. In uh, 86, uh, I think we mentioned this, this was his first year with the Red Sox. He'd come over from the Mets, so he could have been on the other side of that World Series. 88, though, he spent the year with the Cubs, 9-13. and 13. Hmm. 27 starts, all of that equates to a war of .7. Uh, he does have real stirrups here, so you're going to get a .8 out of that. All right, so you've got a Future Stars card. Which is interesting, because I'm okay. very familiar with Chico Leaned, a.k.a. Jose Leaned. I remember Jose Leaned, sure. Was he with the Pirates? Came up with the Pirates, yeah. That's where I remember him. Yeah. I remember he went to the Royals at one point. Let's see, 1988. And I know our friends over at uh, Baseball Beyond Biting Average will want us to mention his small glove that he always used. He was an infielder, but still a very small glove. 84 <laughs> OPS plus in 1988, but a war of 3.5. He always had some good... Good defense, and he's got a mustache, so that'll get you 3.6. Wow, you're racking this up. That's 28.2. Wow. Your final card 
is a catcher for the Cleveland team. It is not Sal Bando. It's Chris Bando. Chris Bando. I'm sure uh, related. Brother of Sal Bando. You are 100% correct. I did not know that. That's just a unique name. Makes sense. Yeah, it is. It's just, you know, his brother played a lot earlier. His brother played in the early 70s, and he came up in the early 80s. So a bit of an age difference. Not that that's a, a thing, but nine years in the big leagues he spent. Uh, the bad news is 88, he spent, he split between Cleveland and Detroit, only appeared in 33 games. That equates to a war of negative 0.4, and there's nothing that's going to help you on this card. But you, my friend, have come up with a really good pack and a score of 27.8. Wow. That's going to be real hard to beat. But not impossible. Well, it is for me. I do not draw good packs, but nonetheless, <laughs> let's see what we got in here. Uh, my gum is not intact. See, there's the sign right there. If, yeah, is, that, luck. is that an omen or what? Sure. <laughs> All right. Well, this is going to be an interesting first card. It is uh, outfielder for the Los Angeles Dodgers, Len Matuzak. Um, I remember John Matuzak. Wasn't he a football player? He was. Maybe I'm. Maybe I'm. Everything I'm remembering is from John. <laughs> Len played seven years in the big leagues, though. Seven years. I'll take that. Uh, 1988, sure. though, uh, he did not play. He, re- he did not. <laughs> 87 was the last year he was in the big leagues. Uh, there's nothing on this card that is going to help me at all. So I am going to start off with uh, straight up nothing. Heck of a start. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Len Matuzak. Way to get me off. On the, way to lead <laughs> off for me. Next, I don't think it's going to get a whole lot better. Pitcher for the Expos, Andy McGaffigan. I mean, I'll tell you this. Andy McGaffigan is going to get me two tenths for this mustache right away. Well, that's good. Yeah, let's see. If Giants, the, right? Uh, Expos. Uh, he was on the Giants for one year, actually two years, two separate years. But in 1988, okay. uh, he was on the Expos, 6-0. and Not bad, out of the bullpen. Not bad. 63 games, had four saves. So I think he's going to get me something here. That is a war of 1.4 plus the two-tenths mustache. So that's going to be a 1.6. <laughs> I'll take that. All right, my next card. Oh, I've got a Topps All-Star rookie. Uh-oh. Yeah, not, it's weird that they had future stars and then All-Star rookie cards. Nonetheless, this guy had a great career, but definitely not a Hall of Famer. It's Matt Noakes. Uh, a catcher, uh, Detroit. Yeah, I'm not sure we've, we've pulled a lot of Matt Noakes. Um, that was a lefty. Yeah, left-handed hitting catcher. Boy, just he was a, he's a good defensive catcher. Had some pop. Never really hit for average. Uh, it was an all-star once, a silver slugger once, and unfortunately that was in 87, not in 88. Uh, 88, though, he did still uh, have 16 homers, uh, OPS plus of 109, and that equals a war of 2.5. Uh, nothing else on this card that's going to get me anything. Has an interesting uh, story about him. They call it the plane incident, and uh, he, he, he was a pilot. He was in a plane that lost oil pressure, and he couldn't get to an airport, so he actually landed it on Interstate 15 in San Diego County. Now, here's where it gets weird. Matt Noakes sold the plane, and the guy that bought it, his name was Dennis Hogg, uh, crash-landed it on the same highway. What? That's really weird. <laughs> wow. Wow. Matt Noakes. Don't get on a plane with Matt Noakes. There's, a, there's our hint for the, the, the There's cats. danger there. Yeah. All right, next we've got a Twins leader card. Now, you got an Orioles leader card. you got two Hall of Famers. Yeah. I didn't. I'm going to have a hard time IDing these guys. <laughs> uh oh It's not, it's not uh, Kirby Puckett. You know what? I think one is Greg Gagne. 
Or no, no, that's Gary Gaetti. That's Gary Gaetti. Boy, I hope not Gaetti on Twitter doesn't get mad at me for that. Uh, and I think that's Kent Herbeck. That's got to be who those are. Those are Gaetti and H.R. Beck. Yeah. I always liked Herbeck's name because his, his last name actually starts with H.R. Home run. It's pretty impressive. So let's go for, uh, let's, let's check out Kent Herbeck's stats first. In 1988, wow, what a great year. 25 home runs, slashed 312, 387, 520, an OPS plus of 150, and that equates to a war of 4.5. Very nice. Yeah, nothing on this card that's going to get me anything. And then Gary Gaetti, let's see, Gary Gaetti in 1988 uh, had an equally as impressive year, actually out-homered Herbeck, 28 home runs, slashed 301, 353, 551 for a 148 OPS plus, and that equates to a 4.3 war. So he didn't le- do so bad there. Yeah, these leader cards are actually very helpful. That'll bring me up to 11.9 after wow. starting off with a zero. I'll take that. All right, next you've got a pitcher for the Astros. I remember him more for the Red Sox than the Astros. It's Danny Darwin. Oh, man, I remember him as an Astro because he had a couple of really dominant years. Well, let's hope 88 was one of them. The Bonham Bullet or Dr. Death were his nicknames. Dr. Death. Dr. Death, yeah. Uh, wasn't that Steve Williams in wrestling? Wasn't he Dr. It Death? It was, yes. Of course, this not being a wrestling podcast, yeah, we don't know. We have to do a wrestling crossover episode. I've got a couple of guys. Uh, let's see, eight and three. Not a great year, but a 3.84 ERA. So not a lot of help, it doesn't look like. Uh, let's look. That equates to a war of, let's see, is that right? 1.6 still. Danny Darwin, of course, had a mustache. And he had stirrups. So that is a plus 1.8. I'll take that. Too bad you didn't get the 89 or 90 Danny Darwin. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I was looking at that. <laughs> <laughs> so Danny Darwin had a had a bit of a temper. During a brawl between the Phillies and the Giants, Oral Hershiser claimed that Darwin punched him in the face. Now, the thing here is they were teammates at the time. <laughs> Oh, jeez. Well, claimed that it was retribution for Hershiser hitting Darwin back when he was pitching against him. So, Boy, that's a, that's a long memory. Yeah, he saw the opportunity <laughs> and took it. Guys in baseball have long, long memories. He also got into an argument with Barry Bonds when they were teammates, when Bonds lazily fielded a hit that became an RBI. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. Don't mess with Danny Darwin. Next, we've got a guy we've talked about many times. Not a great fielder at one point in his career. Second baseman for the Dodgers, Steve Sachs. Steve Alto Sachs. Let's see. So we've talked about Steve quite a bit. 1988. Got some MVP votes uh, with a 95 OPS plus. So let's hope his defense had not abandoned him at that point. 2.1 war. He's got real stirrups on there as well. So that'll get me a 2.2. Here's one for you. Career stolen bases, 444. That's not bad. Not bad at all. That's a lot. Yeah. So, of course, Steve Sachs was on the Homer at the Bat episode of The Simpsons. Yes. Look at listen to this though, man. This guy was on a lot of uh, a lot of really cool shows. He was uh, on an episode of Square Pegs. You remember that? Just early sure. Sarah Jessica Parker. Who's the boss? Hollywood Squares and Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Hmm. Also a black belt in martial arts. Uh, and he currently hosts a, uh, a show on Sirius XM on MLB Network Radio. All right. Next, we've got for the Expos, Wallace Johnson, first baseman. 
No clue, man. I remember Wallace Johnson simply because of baseball cards. Uh, nine years in the big leagues, all but one of them was with Montreal. He was traded in the 83 to the Giants and then uh, signed back with the Expos. Wow, you liked it in Montreal. I really liked him. I like Montreal, too. Uh, let's see. In 1988, he appeared in 107 games, a 119 OPS+. plus. That equates to a war of 0.7. He's got a mustache and he's got real stirrups, so that'll get me a 0.9. But I'm running out of cards here. I'm at 16.8. Still within striking distance. All right, next, uh, we've got somebody that, you know, is Hall of Fame adjacent. Not really a Hall of Famer, but he does get mentioned every now and then. It is the Cobra, Dave Parker. Yes, Dave Parker. Fantastic, amazing ball player. Hits a ton, and he played for like 20 years, if I remember right. Played for 19 years. Now, 88, he was on the A's. He was mainly their designated hitter. Stuck him out in left and first every now and then. Uh, OPS plus of 103, and that equates to a war of only .2. Uh, he hmm. does have real stirrups on, though, but no mustache, so that'll get me a point three. Uh, all right. My next uh, next card here is a guy I'm familiar with, pitcher for the A's, also with the Padres, Storm Davis. Storm Davis was their number five guy, right, in, in most of the rotation history. Yeah, I think he and Mike Moore were the, were the back end of that rotation. Won two World Series in his career, uh, one with the Orioles and then the A's in 89. Let's see, in 88... He went 16 and seven. Wow. Can you? So we're talking about a four and five guy, and he went 16 and seven. And 89, he went 19 and seven. ERA plus of one of Yeah, 88 led the league in wild pitches with 16. That's not going to help me. That equates to a WAR of 2.8, and that's all I'm going to get out of that card. All right, so I am at 19.9. Couple cards left here. Another former athletic. I know this guy's passed away. It is Scott Sanderson. Well, I don't remember a lot about him. Remember, I uh, came in with the A's late season edition. Uh, also went to the Yankees. Uh, never won a World Series. Was one of those guys that a lot of teams added on late at the deadline. But yeah, yeah. Never won a World Series. 88, he spent the entire year with the Cubs, but did not pitch a whole lot. So I'm not going to get a whole lot out of this. That is a war of minus 0.1, but he does have real stirrups. So that is going to be a wash from the card. Sanderson, apparently, before he passed away, had his voice box removed after suffering from a stroke. He died in 2019 at the age of 62. All right, next, <laughs> we've got a guy that believes in dinosaurs, and uh, that's very important. <laughs> this is a good-looking card. It's none other than Mookie Wilson. Mookie, the, the man who hit the 1986 clutch slow roller. Yeah, and then, uh, boy, we had, we've had Mookie quite a bit lately. In 88, played... Quite a bit still with the Mets. Uh, had a good year. 296, 343, 431. That is an OPS plus of 127 and a war of 2.3. I like this. This is before two and ones really came in vogue. He is wearing uh, stirrups. He's got like a, a, a five o'clock shadow uh, in the picture. I, I, I'm not going to give him that. I'll just give him the stirrups. So that will uh, give me a 2.4 on that, which I'll take. Okay, next, another pitcher, this one from the Dodgers. I remember him when he got on the Braves in the early 90s, Alejandro Pena. 88, Dodgers, uh, a lot of games, 60 games out of the pen, 6 and 7, a 1.9 ERA. Wow. ERA we don't care so much about because it's 
doesn't factor in things, but the ERA plus is a, is a bit better judgment. A 176 ERA plus. Wow. Uh, that Man. equates to only a war of 1.7, though. But he's got a mustache, really? so I'll get a 1.8. Yeah. I don't know how you That's have weird. 76% better than the average, but it only equates to a, a 1.7 war. All right, next is another Dodger. I got a lot of them. Here it is, Mike Marshall. Oh man, Mike Marshall. Uh, I remember him. Obviously, a Dodger, but he was he was kind of known for taking days off because he wasn't feeling well. In fact, I remember reading this story that he once sat out, and his excuse was general soreness. I remember, that. as opposed no to sergeant or corporal soreness, but it's general <laughs> soreness. I remember that. Good, yeah, good recall on that one. General soreness. <laughs> well, and his nickname wasn't General, though. It should be. 1988, um, okay, pretty good year. 118 OPS plus. That equates to a 2.4 war. He's got the real stirrup, so that'll get me 2.5. I am creeping up. I'm at 26.6, and I've got two cards left. It's going to be It's going to be close. All right, my uh, second to last card. Wow, this guy, well, he's going to get me two-tenths of a point for the mustache. He looks a lot like Tom Selleck because he's got a lot of hair uh, on his chest as well. It's Jay Baller. Yeah, he's got a nice gold chain, too. He's baller. really living living up to his name. So Jay Baller, while he might look like a baller in the big leagues, spent six years scattered across a bunch of teams. 1988, unfortunately, was not a year that he spent in the big leagues. Well, lucky you. Yeah. Uh, also played in the Mexican League and... Uh, he played for Oryx in the uh, in the NPB one year in 1994 as well, but not a whole lot. I'm going to get the two tenths of a point for the uh, that mustache though. So Baller really trying to live up to his nickname. I'm not going to go into it, but uh, <laughs> he was a bit of a baller outside of baseball, not in a good way. Uh, enjoyed the uh, enjoyed the cocaine apparently. Uh, all right, well I'm going to go ahead and just tell you that you have won this uh, match. Uh, my final card is a manager card. So while oh, it's a man. good manager, uh, and this is 1988, so uh, one year removed from a World Series win, it's Tom Kelly of the uh, Minnesota Twins. Tom Kelly managed that team for a really long time. Yeah, definitely did. But, uh, of course, it's not going to get me a whole lot no. uh, war-wise or, or anything. He doesn't have a mustache either. So uh, that's just going to be a big goose egg for me and leave me at 26.8, which is actually not a bad score, but... You really, uh, you really uh-huh. rocked it with the twenty-seven point eight. So you beat me by one whole point, and you creep now to within one win of your second consecutive Wax Packs Hero Crown. Well, you definitely made it interesting. Yeah, it came came up close there. If only Baller had done something other than you know be arrested for drug trafficking and <laughs> possessing a firearm, it would have been awesome. But yeah, uh, yeah. Congratulations. All right. So that is going to wrap up another episode of uh, another edition of Wax Packs Heroes. Also wraps up this episode of To Strike Noise. We want to thank you for joining us. As always, we appreciate it if you want to write and review us wherever you're listening to this. Also, if you want to get a hold of us and follow us throughout the week, we can be found on social media at To Strike Noise. That is at TWO Strike Noise. You can find us on both Twitter and Instagram. You can do a search for us 
on YouTube as well. We did try to start this episode live on Twitch, but we had a couple of connection issues. We're going to try to work through those. And for now on, we're going to try to broadcast these live on Twitch. If you want to follow us there, we're two strike noise, all one word. So make sure to follow us there. We're not going to probably be interacting a whole lot when we do these, but maybe afterwards, if you've got questions, if you are watching us, we'll be happy to chat with you then. But you can also get a hold of us via electronic email, which which is like a pin number because I've just been redundant. But Mark, you want to tell them how to do that? Yes, uh, the Department of Redundancy Department uh, was not happy with that. Um, yeah, you can you can email us. Isn't that great? At two strike noise, spell it out: T W O strike noise at gmail.com. All right, and uh, we appreciate everybody joining us. We hope to see you or at least speak to you again next week on another episode of Two Strike Noise. Thank you. God bless you. Have a great day. 